Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Produce Buzzers Podcast. We are so happy you have joined us today, and I think you will be too after the show is over, because you will learn a lot about fresh fruits and vegetables, how to select and store them, how to prepare and cook them, and surprising facts about their history and origin. We hope it inspires you to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, not only for your health, but also for your delight and pleasure as you explore their amazing world of taste and delicious flavors. Eating more of them will transform your life in so many positive ways. So settle back, relax, and get ready for another delicious adventure with the Produce Buzzers. Produce Buzzers podcast fans, welcome to another delicious episode of the Produce Buzzers podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We are so happy you did, and you will be too. Produce Buzzers podcast fans, guess what? September, it is September. September is National Fruit and Vegetable Month. Yay! Are you as excited as we are? I'm sure you are. Since we are celebrating all things fruit and veggie this month, we are thrilled to have back on the podcast this week a woman who is at the epicenter of efforts to get people to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables. We were honored to have her on the podcast earlier this year to talk about her work and an organization that is making a great impact on teaching people the value and benefits of consuming more fruits and vegetables. She has held several positions in her career that focused on communicating to the public and the food industry the vital importance of nutrition and battling the nation's health issues. But her latest post may be the most important one in accomplishing that task. Wendy Reinhardt Capsack is the president and CEO of the Produce for Better Health Foundation. At PBH, she guides the foundation's efforts to work with more than 500 industry and government partners to advance the overall effort of increasing fruit and vegetable com- consumption through all produce forms, fresh, frozen, canned, dried, and even 100% juice. Wendy and the Produce for Better Health Foundation are rolling out in force during the month of September. That's National Fruits and Veggies Month, as we said. All kinds of exciting information that can help you get more of those delicious fruits and vegetables in your meals. They have teamed up with dozens of dietitians, food bloggers, celebrity chefs, and others who are passionate about fruit and veggies as you are. So today she's going to tell us about all that exciting and helpful content. Welcome back to the program, Wendy. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And yes, we are ready to get the party started. That's great. I hope you had a great summer. I ate lots of delicious fruits and veggies over the summer. I'm sure you did. Okay. What have you and the Produce for Better Health Foundation been up to since we last spoke in the spring? Well, gosh, a lot. Um, every single day, as you know, uh, we are out there talking to millions of consumers in the digital online social media space around how to not just eat fruits and vegetables, but enjoy them for the, both their health, but also their happiness. Yes. And so um, we've been very, we're busy every single day doing just that. Now, what's really special about our time together is that we are celebrating National Fruits and Veggies Month. And really, while every day is like a veg, fruit and veggie love day at PBH, um, really what we like to do during this particular month is shine a light 
on the America's most favorite and flavorful plants. And really these are the plants that no one's eating enough of fruits and veggies. And so it's an opportunity for us to shine a greater light on what makes fruit and vegetables amazing, but also elevate collectively fruit and vegetable consumption as a national priority here in the United States. And so there's a lot actually happening in the month of September um, with just the work that we would normally do for National Fruits and Veggies Month. And there's a lot of great resources and um, ways that people can get involved, but we're also gonna be releasing new research um, on habits, fruit and veggie habits, we're also going to be participating in um, the IFPA Washington conference later this oh, month. Yes. And let me interrupt, Wendy, just a second to make sure our listeners understand what we are talking about. The IFPA is the International Fresh Produce Association, and they have an annual conference in Washington, D.C., during which people in the fresh produce industry come to Washington to engage members of Congress and other policymakers to help shape policy regarding the fresh produce industry, and to advance the goals of increasing consumption and ensure the industry can continue to supply the country with fresh fruits and veggies. Yep, it so happens that the last day of that conference will be the actual White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. And this is the second one in, in our second conference in our nation's history. And the first one was very instrumental because it pulled together a lot of really important government feeding programs that are so very vital actually to fruit and vegetable consumption today, whether that's um, what we might know as food stamps or now SNAP, um, the WIC, Women, Infants and Children's Program, uh, and school meals. And so it's really an interesting time um, and a great opportunity to elevate fruit and vegetable consumption as a national priority here. Yeah. And, uh, we need that. We need that here in this country. Um, these consumption numbers have been lackluster too long. And so we have to change how we're doing things. Right. Now, those are important. I, I had read about the, the uh, IFPA conference and uh, hoping I might attend. I'm not quite certain yet that I can do that. It's the last week in September, September 26th through 28th. The White House conference will be taking place on the 28th. And so you don't need to go to Washington to necessarily experience oh. the House conference, yes, for the IFPA, but the White House conference will be streamed nationally. And so if you are interested in seeing what comes out of that, essentially a national action plan based on what the federal government will be doing on fruits, not fruits and vegetables, but over just to reduce hunger, improve diet quality, et cetera, that'll be live streamed. And so every American, if they wanted to, uh, could participate in that. A lot of discussion over the last several months about, you know, what's, what, what are the priorities They we, along with other stakeholders within the fruit and vegetable industry and the broader food and hunger um, stakeholder groups, they've been called holding listening sessions to kind of have input into that process. And so, you know, the most important thing about for, I think, for the fruit and vegetable industry to know about related to the White House conferences, number one, it's happening. Number two, it's the, there's only the second one in our history. Three, it is a unique opportunity for the fruit and vegetable um, sector to really come together and recognize that fruits and vegetables are critical to improving diet quality. We know that. 
but it's really an important opportunity at this moment with this White House and this White House conference to unite around a really important idea, and that is that fruits and vegetable consumption, given the chronic underconsumption in this country, it's time to do something different, and it should be elevated as a national priority, meaning central in this regard to every federally funded research, feeding, and promotional and, and a promotional initiative. And um, and it's an important it's an important time to really elevate the voice. And so it's 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 like amazing that it's happening at a time when we are already raising our voice with National Fruits and Veggies Month. Right. When you said um, specific plants that are neglected, are did you mean it fruits and veggies That's right. at large, or is it spinach? No, fruits and fruits and vegetables at large. I like we like to say they're the America's most, you know favorite and flavorful plants, but they're really the plants that no one's eating enough of. So you hear in the in the you know press and all this. Oh my gosh, the plant based um, you know market is so huge. Well, you know what? Actually, it could be even bigger if we realize, and that's really what the Have a Plant movement in part is about. Is in the context of plant forward eating, really fruits and veggies are the plants that no one's eating enough of. And so, but they're really the most important plants out there. They're the, oh, what we like to say is they're the OG of the plants. They're the goat. They're the ones that are, that are pretty amazing in and of themselves. And so no one's eating enough of them. And so we have to change that here in this country. Yeah, I like that. Those, uh, those catchphrases to catch the young people, goat, OG. <laughs> plant forward, I think is, uh, also interesting yeah so that's interesting so uh yeah i you know when i've talked to people about plant forward it seemed like fresh fruits and veggies were always at center of the discussion but maybe that's because they know where i'm coming from but uh i guess the other plants are what beans and well beans are fresh fruits or fruits and vegetables. i think there's two sides of that coin in that conversation one of them is what you just talked about increasing um, Americans' consumption of plant foods, i.e. fruits and vegetables, also um, nuts, seeds, whole grains, for example. Right. Then the other side of that coin and another kind of faction in that dialogue is around reducing animal products in the diet. Now at PBH, we believe in a much more inclusive definition, meaning it's not one or the other of those. Obviously, we're interested in the fruits and vegetables part of it, but we believe in a more inclusive plant forward dialogue conversation. And that's really based on keeping the consumer at the center of our communications and really looking at how people eat today. Our main goal is always going to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's fruits and vegetables at the center of any, as we said, research, feeding, promotional initiative, and yeah, at the center of our plates too. Yeah. Oh, very good. September is a one of the best times of the year to celebrate fresh fruits and vegetables because you still have the summer fruits and vegetables in season, and now the fall fruits and veggies are starting to come in season. And of course, this time of year is a, one of the best times to incorporate new habits. Our schools are starting back up. Many of us have just come back from vacations. We sense the seasons are turning and changes in the air. So it's a good time to kind of reset things. And nothing could be more important than resetting our eating habits, especially if we got a little lax on that, that on those vacations. What are some simple ways people can incorporate change in their diets and get more plants? 
Yeah, you you really raised an, a really exciting point, one that I'd like to talk a little bit more about, and that is at PBH, we like to say that this time of year is really more of the back to busy. It's back to a routine um, for many families out there. And there's also an interest in kind of saying, you know what, we kind of got to get back um, to making sure that that we're eating healthier um, during this time frame as the kids are going back to school and we're kind of getting back to a routine. And so in, you know, PBH really has invested in a lot of research, uh, including behavioral science research. And so in behavioral science, what you said kind of changes in the air is many behavioral scientists would call this a fresh start moment for many people. And it's a, it's a critical point in time for which people have this almost innate desire to kind of create a new habit or get back to basics or kind of decide to make a change. And some, you know, another example, of this would be, for example, the new year or the change in seasons overall, another, uh, sometimes people's birthdays, you know, have a big birthday coming up and this year is going to be different than all the other years. So the idea that changes in the year, people are getting back to busy and they're ready for routine is could be very positive for fruits and veggies. And that's what our latest research really shows. So um, you know, we do, I mentioned, we do a lot of research and one of the things that we do is food and nutrition science research and making sure we're up to date on that. Another is consumption trends and behavioral insights. And that's a, we just kind of mentioned something there. And we also do some policy analysis as well. Now in the area of cons consumption data and um, behavioral insights is this newest research we're so excited about. We're calling it hacks to habits, hacks. Okay. The habits. Hacks and habits. So, That's great. Yeah, hacks the habits. And so what we see, and I mean, gosh, you can look on any social media channel here. Um, yeah, what are all the young people doing? Well, they're showing all these really cool food hacks, whether it's a, what you might call a selection hack, a storage hack, a preparation hack, or even a recipe hack. And people love to look at this type of content online. In fact, that's, that's a lot of what our content is too. But what we found in this latest research is that when light frequency fruit and vegetable consumers actually were exposed to a number of these hacks, meaning here's a whole bunch of hacks that you could potentially use to double your consumption. First, we said, do you use any of these? And what we found is that the people who eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, they actually do employ more hacks than those people who don't eat a lot. So there's something there. And then what we found is that when we expose those people that don't eat a lot of those low frequency consumers, they actually say, um, you know, how confident would you be using these hacks? And they're very simple things to actually potentially double your produce consumption or for that of your family. And what we see is particularly for vegetables is that exposure to these hacks um, and knowing about them inspires confidence um, that they could actually improve their fruit and vegetable consumption. Why is it's kind of like, okay, is this a no duh moment? Well, no, it's not because we want people to take hacks and not just do them one time or just watch a video online. We want them to create a true habit out of them. And so for the first time in consumer research, we actually applied what's called a habit index. And this is out of the behavioral science literature. And what we find is people who eat more, do in fact have more fruit and vegetable habits, meaning they automatically are doing either the shopping and or the consuming. And they don't have to think about it. 
And so then we say, well, okay, if we're going to talk about a habit score, what is a habit? And a habit has a couple ingredients. And I think this is really important for the broader, you know, food, food industry to know about. And I think in many respects, other pro product categories use this concept, but produce should be using it too. And that is the ingredients of habit include a cue. It's not necessarily what we want people to do. It's the time and or a familiar context that they always do something, i.e. brush brushing your teeth right when you wake up, let's say, right when you, or after you eat a meal. The cue is not the brushing the teeth. That's the behavior we want to come next. The cue is my alarm clock goes off or um, I just finished eating breakfast, okay? Behavior is the brushing of the teeth. The reward, which is the third ingredient, is fresh breath. Um, or the fact that, you know, maybe your partner wants to give you a kiss before you walk out the door or something. Okay? So, and then we put those three things all together on repeat. And it's only after we repeat those things many, many times that we then be, they become a habit. And so let's, you know, so I think there's more to unpack there. If we think about the consumption journey and we almost liken it, and I think the audience or the listeners would know, around food safety, there's something called kind of the HACCP journey. Um, and so at certain points in our food safety-like situation, we're saying, ooh, that's a rate-limiting factor there. If we don't, for example, the crate of the product is sitting on the floor, that's an opportunity where food safety might not happen, right? It would be the same thing with consumption. If we begin to look and say, how do we make every part of the consumption journey more automatic and easy for consumers, essentially reducing friction, that is when we make consumption happen for real. Yeah. So cue, uh, then the behavior, and then the reward. Give me, give me a cue. So a cue in the, in the area of fruit and vegetables, for example, we are getting ready to prep for the night and um, we're gonna start chopping some veggies. And kids are like, I'm hungry right now, not later now, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so the idea of the cue Sounds is, like you have children, I don't know. Oh, no, for sure, <laughs> they're getting older now too. It's upset. But is that is the moment, the time, the place, I'm in the kitchen, the kids are, but I want, and I'm getting ready to prep whatever we're gonna make for the night. Now, the barrier of this is the kids are hungry now. What do I do? You know what the easiest thing to grab would be, what many would do. What if I say every time we meal prepped, guys, at five o'clock, I'm going to start doing this. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to serve my kids some cut fruit or a fruit cup in that moment. And so now what I'm doing is I'm making what would be called a behavior, a fruit and veggie first behavior. And so before my kids eat maybe some of the other things that are perfectly healthy or they reach for something that's less so every day or every Wednesday or every Monday, whatever it is, we're going to serve fruits and veggies first as a part of our meal plan or prep situation. Yeah. And so what we have to unpack there, and this is also true as a health professional, is I might say, hey, yeah, here's an idea. Here's a hack. Serve fruits and veggies first while you're meal prepping. But what I haven't done is unpacked all the little barriers, even just within that little context that then get in the way of that becoming 
a first behavior, a repeated behavior, and then ultimately an automatic habit. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I may not have the fruits and veggies on hand. My knives aren't clean. Um, I it actually not knife skills are not my thing. So I would prefer this to be fresh cut or there's a lot of things that we might want to unpack just to get one small kind of habit behavior to begin to form. Right. So that's interesting. The removing those barriers is is key because yeah, you might have the cue and say, oh, I want fresh fruits and vegetables now. I want my kids to have them now, but those barriers can prevent you from <laughs> moving forward. So uh, that's key. So you you guys are focusing in on that and 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 um, giving us some tips on how to make that happen. I, I think like for for example, I know this feels a little bit like, well, Del Wendy, we've heard that a million times, but what we're really saying is, we're applying a layer of behavioral science to say, actually, this is rooted in science. In so for example, for my food and nutrition colleagues, even though you've made fruits and veggies beautiful on Instagram, have you helped your audience actually break down their own consumer journey at every point and help them determine how to make it easy? Or have you just given them one hack that they may or may find interesting, but they may not even try, or they may not integrate into a routine. So we're saying you need, we're going to need to go one step further. In fact, even at our, um, we're, you know, a lot, we share a lot of this research in advance with our food and nutrition colleagues, for example, retail dietitians, and they even say, how would this now apply to my produce kind of merchandising, my produce promotions, what I'm showcasing in store online. How do I get a frictionless environment in the produce purchase part of this equation? How do I help my shoppers get a frictionless um, you know, prepping experience? How do I make sure that there's an automatic, not just shopping habit, but an automatic consumption habit? In fact, I'll create a produce first um, whole campaign and help our shoppers decide how they're going to make a produce first um, experience for their families. Yeah. That's another layer. Right. Friction meaning, uh, I don't know what to buy. I don't know what, uh, maybe this week I, I don't have my meal um, menu planned out. So that would be a friction. Yeah. Or another example is, um, or a way that I've seen this really begin now two and a half, two years later come to life is in e-commerce. So yeah, you're right. Um, mom, dad has zero idea about what they're going to buy at the grocery store because they have zero idea about what they're going to be making because they haven't, most people don't plan. Right. So, mm -hmm. so instead of depending on impulse buy only at retail, which is less likely it might, it might improve purchase, but it doesn't necessarily improve consumption. We have data to back that up at this point right. is um, now I'm going to make, you know, here's a salad recipe or here's kind of a, a meal prep idea or even an assembly idea. You love this idea. I'm going to get crazy here for you guys. You get it. <laughs> Um, yeah, we have these, you know, private brand frozen pizzas on special. I'm going to show you how to add some fresh veggies on top of that, get a bag salad kit with it. And, you know, and I'm going to actually make you, does this seem like it could be a good for an easy, quick dinner tonight? 
click, boop, all of it's in my cart. Right. No, that's mm -hmm. great. And I love, I love uh, on your website and some of your ambassadors promoting the idea of just don't, you know, whatever you're eating now, just add veggies to it, fruit and veggies to it. And that's a simple, very simple way to get started. And absolutely. And you know, that is rooted in behavioral science. It's called a piggybacking behavior. Hmm. So, I mean, there is, it's like, kind of like, man, it's science, but um, <laughs> it really is. And um, so for example, there's research around medication adherence or adding flossing to a brushing routine saying you need to do a brand new behavior. You know what? You guys should really eat more salads. Okay, but we're not doing that today. Um, that's a great aspiration. Behavioral science would say we don't rise to our aspirations. We fall to the systems around us. So the average American public is having pizza and tacos and pasta. How do I help them add more to that? An example of a piggybacking behavior versus saying, you know what? You should do one meatless meal a week and you should add a salad meal. A, a lovely idea may not break through and actually not turn into a behavior at all. Right. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. The tacos, pizza, pasta. <laughs> and, and then what about burgers. what? Yeah. And then breakfast, you know, uh, what, 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 what do you add to breakfast? Uh, well, you know, what you, you're eating, but <laughs> yeah, you can so do overnight oats and add a bunch of fruit to it. You can, yeah. Or an example is cereal through our state of the plate research at PBH. Only 14% of the time are consumers adding um, fruits to cereal, hot or cold. Really? Wow. Now, so that's 14% of the time. So th there's two ways of reading that data. The number one pairing for fruit is cereal, hot or cold. Okay, let's go another layer down. It's only happening 14% of the time. Meaning we have an 80, we could increase by 86% potentially time for the occasions for which fruit can be added to cereal. Now yeah, we, but what fruits or uh, what fruits go well with uh, frosted flakes? There's a ton of them. I think there's a lot. You strawberries, know? blueberries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Strawberries in particular. Yeah. Bananas. Peaches. Yeah, S Cynthia would put Skittles on them. <laughs> I love Skittles. Um, but I would say, you know, in fact, you bring up a great point. We've worked with Kellogg's actually, um, not necessarily with the uh, Frosted Flakes brand. Exactly. So Special K would lend itself to. You know what? I mean, something. I think so. I think they all can. And so mm -hmm. here's what I would say. And this is more speaking now from a PBH point of view, because I don't want it to be, I'm really challenging us at PBH, who at one point said, if you're going to eat fruits and vegetables, you have to do them this way, meaning no butter, no sugar, no anything. And I don't think that that worked well. Yeah. And why don't I think that? I think it didn't work well because it didn't taste great. And when we are talking about fruits and vegetables, taste is the number one reward. So if we're, and it we're, taste is important. Yes, you're right. But it's training the palate. And a good way to start is by adding, like you're saying, they train their palate to like them and then they taste great. So Yeah, but I can't be my age and try to 
<laughs> train my palate to skip butter, sugar. Yeah, you can. But you I can. will tell you, I will tell you my child, uh, 25, she has an excellent palate. So she eats sauteed kale with eggs every morning or like she'll have a salad and I'll have, uh, Frosted is that flakes. fried? Yeah. The, I'll, I'll have the fried <laughs> special. Um, so where mine, my palate is a uh, suspect hers is, is good. I think you raised a great point about kids and, um, and I'm sure you've raised her to kind of love some of those tastes or maybe even exposed her. And then over a period of time, they became what I would call again, more automatic for her. you mentioned every morning, she has this one of the, maybe a similar or the same thing. And that is a habit. Um, it's automatic. She's not thinking really hard about it because it's something she just does. At one point she had to try it. So I think what we see in the literature or the, or the research is that the, the age groups for which we could depend on fruit and vegetable consumption, i.e. particularly the older subset of Americans and the younger, they're, they're decreasing their consumption. And so we can't rely on those age groups to keep consumption even um, parity to what we've seen over the, over the years. The so, older or the younger both, are decreasing? Both. both. So, so what that's also letting me know is some of that generational wisdom, if you will, is not making its way to other, uh, to, to, you know, the next generation. And so oftentimes and I'm going to push back here a little bit more is even in the fruit and vegetable industry, I strongly believe that we are marketing to existing customers. Yeah. I think we spoke about it, yeah, Wendy, um, in when we were in, when you were in Florida, uh, about the the clientele that has to sh that shops on the inside aisles because As opposed to the outside. The yeah, hamburger helper is less expensive, uh, so the the more processed foods are easier are, cheaper <laughs> yes they're they're less expensive and maybe you know i think that that's that's an issue and and conversation adjacent um is inflation affecting consumption right now a lot of the data is really starting to demonstrate that consumers are trading down um, and you're seeing some of that, I think with the organ in the fruit and vegetable sector, some of that, those organic numbers, you guys are probably even closer to that, uh, maybe than I am. So I think, you know, we're talking about a lot of things here. What I'm talking about is consumption has not changed. If we're going to increase volume, we're going to need to give people more reasons to eat fruits and vegetables. And we're going to need to create new occasions for which they can enjoy them. They enjoy them when they're tasting good. And behavioral science would say that piggybacking onto existing approaches is a great way to start. I'm not sure that as an industry, we've fully exhausted our opportunities there. 
Um, and instead, be, you know, while our aspirational acai smoothie bowl is gorgeous, it may or may not be where we need to start with every single American. And we need to be okay with that. And we need to not make people feel bad about it because that's, that hasn't worked either. So, so the inflationary environment in which we find ourselves is a really interesting one um, because people could trade down um, for sure. And they could trade down in a way that, I don't know, could further erode their fruit and vegetable consumption overall. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, more people seem to be eating at home, although they're also quite interested in going to restaurants. Light frequency consumers have the most, that is most Americans, by the way, have the most difficulty with vegetables. Remember we said, or if I, I like to use this analogy as fruits and veggies are like your kids. You, you know, you love them both, but they are different and you're going to need to treat them a little differently. Um, if we're going to get anywhere. And so vegetables, making vegetables taste great is the number one challenge it's not, that, that people see with vegetables. In light frequency vegetable consumers pre-pandemic, we're getting their vegetables from food service. Why? We tasted great and probably wasn't based on some type of nutrition guidelines that kept them tasting like crap because nobody wants to eat crap twice, okay? So <laughs> Brussels sprouts weren't served so the rise of the Brussels sprout, the rise of the kale, um, wasn't because I still question kale, but Brussels sprouts, I don't, is, you know, they were made to taste great at food service and people were exposed to Brussels sprouts in a whole new way. And that was a very um, smart and coordinated effort. Um, there are still people that aren't eating Brussels sprouts because they haven't experienced them. So we shouldn't take our foot off the gas on those opportunities but we need to be cognizant that this is a critical moment for which people need to be eating fruits and vegetables. They are not already. And in fact, they may trade down further in this inflationary environment. Yeah. So we need to hear the people and we need to help them keep fruits and vegetables on their plates. And so that means that we need to know what they, that they currently eat, that they feel very confident their families will eat and enjoy so they don't waste it, that people will not have um, tolerance for wasting, trying new things and wasting it. Um, if we don't kind of connect it to something that's familiar, that's my belief. You know, fruits and vegetables, even in high inflationary times, are still an incredible bargain. You know, uh, we used to have uh, Teresa, Rick, and I, our siblings, I think you may remember that. And we grew up in a produce business. My dad had a wholesale produce business, but we also had retail produce places in uh, the Southeast. And I remember my dad being in those places and people would come in and complain about the prices. And what would he say, Rick, when they would come in and complain about the prices? <laughs> Oh boy, you stumped me on that one. But well, he would he would always he'd probably say like it's less than a side yeah. of beef. Yeah, no, he would no. always go to how much is a candy bar? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. He would always try to help? educate. Well, the him. one I bought today was yeah. uh <laughs> yeah, and then especially if he saw somebody with cigarettes or smoking, you know, yes. he'd say, Well, yeah, right. there, that's killing you, and you're paying you you don't complain about the price there as expensive as days are. But anyway, yeah. I raised well, that you mentioned about uh a better value in the center of the store, hamburger helper. If you take food value, 
that's the most expensive place you can shop is the center of the store. With all that stuff, there's, there's really nothing to it. There's no nutrition. There's not enough food value there to make you healthy. So, but I, mean, I don't think that a mom who uh, wasn't raised like we were, I think a mom who's struggling in her life, it's like you pour it in some water, you put some, you know, some sort of protein with it, and you fill your children's stomachs. I think that it's, and that's the problem we have in this country is because people are doing that because they're going to be hungry within an hour after eating that stuff. <laughs> They'd be better off eating the hamburger. But that's all part of the educational effort and exactly. behavioral science as Wendy keeps pointing out is the most important thing. You can, if you buy, yeah. whole, if you buy whole foods out of the store and eat the right portions, it's much cheaper than buying potato chips and crackers and, all these things that are totally. Hey, 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 no, hey, no hey, be nice, be yeah. nice. <laughs> you take the hamburger, help, help you're hungry within an hour, and then you got to have some potato chips or something. Yeah. <laughs> I disagree. If you, if you do the hamburger and you throw in some peppers and onions and maybe a little chili powder and give it some flavor, you don't need the hamburger helper. And the, I mean, my wife and I live off of, we live off, we probably spend $50 a week at the grocery store. And we basically only buy whole foods. And I've seen people with shopping carts full of junk that they found in the center of the store. And, and their total will be $200 at the cash register. And I just, that's probably one area that we need to, need to study is what really is the cheap, the uh, least expensive way to live. And I disagree about all the processed foods being cheaper. I don't think they're well, cheaper. I think you make the point, but most people don't need that. And, and that's the educational effort that needs to occur. Yeah. Uh, and I think what we're trying to do is show people, I mean, again, for you and your wife, there's very, there might be less friction there for someone else. There might be more. And so I think what we're trying to say is how do we reduce that friction based on what those people are experiencing and how do we bring them, you know, after counseling people in my life is, you know, some people do respond to like a cold and you see this maybe like with smoking sensation, you brought that up. So is cold Turkey works for some people for others. It doesn't, can we respect that? Mm -hmm. Can we respect it? We can, and, and we can bring folks along in a way that's going to, but they have to experience it. Do you know what I mean? So they have to taste the difference. They have to um, experience in a way that that wasn't like a mountain for them to get there. So I think it's a really unique time. And I think that's like what you're saying. Um, and once we're devoted to at PBH is, you know, we have a, we, we're talking about all Americans here at PBH. We're going to focus on millennials and Gen Z's millennial millennials and Gen Z's are a little bit more interested in some things than others, but they're not all the same either. So we're trying to, you know, work with a group of ambassadors that is pretty diverse um, and we can get even more um, diverse in that realm. And so people see someone like them that they that they feel is, is maybe in a little bit of a similar situation. It's not everybody in America, I tell you that, but, and then try to show like, hey, this could be easy for you. This is how I shop. This is how I plan. This is how I 
cook, maybe this is how I assemble this for my family and normalizing, um, normalizing assembly of some quick products um, can go, I think as a, as a, for some young mothers out there that could go a real long way rather than feeling like they have to aspire to something that they don't even have uh, the appliances for. So, so that's what we're doing. And I think, you know, there's a couple key themes that were really kind of informed by the behavioral research that we're focused on. One is back to basics. So again, does it need to be all the beautiful things or does it need to be like the real things kind of like Instagram worthy or like real life, you know? Um, and so that's a little bit of a back to basics. The next one is some of these food hacks and these food hacks can make it easy. And if you've experienced a very easy way of doing something and there was some type of reward, meaning I saved, it wasn't always about taste, but it's, it's good. We're going there is I saved time. Um, I was able to like get something done um, quickly without my kids uh, kind of, you know, getting in the way. Um, I, it, you know, those are time and taste are really important in, for this industry to really focus on. Um, and then, uh, so I'm going to focus on some basic food hacks and, and then from there, I'm going to, I'm going to demonstrate how things can be easy and how I can assemble ease. And then I'm going to strongly encourage that people pick one thing and create an automatic habit. You know, if you think about experience, you said something in here, you said, do you remember what dad said every time somebody would say this? Yeah. And so in that moment, you were taken back to a moment where you saw yourself or you saw your dad or you saw every time he would say this or every Christmas, my mom did this or every Sunday and Wednesday, we went to church every. And so that's what we're trying at PBH. That's what we're trying to create with fruits and vegetables. Every Monday we had pasta and this is how we did it. Every Friday, every Tuesday, we had taco Tuesday and we changed it up every, every Tuesday with a different salsa. We had mango, we had tomato, we had this kind, we had that kind. Every Friday we would have pizza. And my mom would always make sure we had a salad with it. Yeah. That's what we're trying to create. Those mm-hmm. I have to tell you, and, and, and intergenerational, my, intergenerational, as you said, too. Now. Every time every for my time. child, I use good old fashioned bribery. <laughs> oh, I want whatever you absolutely can have that. But will you have some broccoli first? Will you have, you know, it was always this first and then she could have whatever she wanted and then it it became she's not that crazy of a sweet eater and when i shall kill me uh when like potty training you know (laughs) oh i want to go to disney i'm like oh uh, you know they don't like allow diapers at at disney so sorry so you lied so, you lied so yeah no, total lie and so she was like, and then i'm telling you this child lived on uh hershey kisses for two weeks put her in a pair of panties diapers went away and 
Yeah. That was it. You didn't even but know I'm, this. You didn't even know this, but you are a scientist. And there, there really is something to that. And that's the reward. So there's a lot around child feeding practices, for example. There's a whole field of study on this, and it's usually coming out of the food and nutrition space. And so you couple that with behavioral science, and you are doing a lot of those things. So you don't actually need to, there, the idea of praise, we actually asked a couple of questions on this in our most recent research we probably didn't, we needed to have a little bit stronger battery, I think, to really kind of share, but I'll share from the literature, which is um, lots of things work for kids to eat fruits and vegetables and for children reward. And for ourselves, there's a reward, right? Let's go back to the habit equation. All right. There's the cue. It's dinner. Um, there's the behavior. I want you to eat broccoli. There's the reward. Okay. And so maybe the reward is I want to watch TV or I want to watch my cartoons or something. I don't know. Maybe the reward is I want something sweet. Some people it's money, some people it's stickers, some people it's screen time, but for kids, and there's a lot on, there's a lot of research on praising children for doing something. I did a dance every time, See? but I tell you, you were, you were doing all the right things. Uh, except <laughs> when we went to Disney she saw somebody changing a diaper and she's like, mom. And I'm like, you know what? Busted. Not everybody follows the directions. It's shameful. I'm a big fat liar. Yeah. Well, uh, you there was no Santa Claus while you were at it. <laughs> what? Oh, there was also no Santa Claus. While you're at it. <laughs> I would lie and say like, Yes, there absolutely is Santa and the tooth fairy and, you know, the and Easter if you eat your bunny. vegetables, he'll, they'll, they'll come. come. But if you don't, they won't. All your teeth will fall out. <laughs> but I love the scientific approach that PBH is following. The behavioral science is, is really key. And, and uh, you're doing a great job getting that out there. And who do you say is most responsible for assisting you in that? I know you have your ambassadors who are out there influencing people, but you've mentioned the growers, the packers, the shippers. You've mentioned the retailers. Who else needs to be involved? In Everybody. Okay. Everyone who cares about fruit and vegetable consumption should be Good. supporting in some way um, the Produce for Better Health Foundation. And so it's at, you know, as a 501c3 charitable organization, we are dependent on every single dollar that is given to us. And, um, and so we take that very seriously and, and want to be really good stewards of um, anyone who, who decides to give us some of their hard earned money to do this work. And so uh, a lot of the produce industry supports us, but a lot of them don't. And I can't even believe it. Um, because we're having such great impact, um, you know, reaching, you know, doing a lot of the research necessary to change, um, not just the conversation around fruits and vegetables, let's say at the policy level, um, but we're doing a lot of important work to change how influencers and people, whether they be in retail or food service are in the online space, inspiring consumers, you know, making sure that they have this information and that they're carrying it forward directly to consumers. And, you know, PBH in, in our, you know, just ourselves, we're reaching millions of consumers daily with this, with this really important work. And then now, gosh, you take our ambassadors, 
um, that are also carrying the message forward. They're volunteers, by the way. September is a great time for us. It's a great time for the whole industry to say, you know, hey, what can we do to improve actual consumption? And PBH is getting a groundswell of its own followers and ambassadors to make sure that we're shining a light on all things fabulous about fruits and vegetables during this month at a time, a really important time when they're saying, you know what, I need to start eating healthy again. And we're using behavioral science to give them great science-based, rooted in behavioral science research ideas to get back to basics, to use hacks, to make it easy and to repeat those things so they become an automatic fruit and vegetable consumption habit. Every time we do this, we did that. Every time we taco, we have lots of salsa and veggies. Every time we pizza, we do that. Every time we shop, we're putting in our carts. Every time we eat, we're eating fruits and vegetables. And so that's what we're doing at PBH this September. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Cynthia was mentioning your website and all the great recipes. So let's not forget to yeah. remind people of the Produce for Better Health Foundation website. But that's not how you'll find it. Well, you can if you Google that, but it's easy to find the website. The website address is fruitandveggies.org. How can you forget that? So easy. Yeah. They have a lot of collaborators co contributing to the site with recipes and hacks and info about fresh fruits and vegetables, all fresh, all fruits and vegetables. So thank you, Wendy, so thank much. It's always a delight. It's so fun to be with you guys. Um, you guys are always really great, like collaborators and great conversationalists. And I know sometimes I do most of the talking, but I well, really that's what love, we wanted. I really love <laughs> you guys. Thanks so yeah, much. No, you, you always have yeah. such interesting information and you're passionate like we are. So thank you so much. Right. We love, we love you, Wendy. Yes, oh, love absolutely. You. Have a great day. Thank you thank again. Thank you so Bye. much. Well, thank you listeners for tuning in to the Produce Buzzers podcast. Brought to you by Produce Buzz, the gathering place for lovers of fresh fruits and veggies. We hope you were entertained a bit and educated a lot about fresh produce. Be sure to join us next time. And please tell your friends to do so as well. Like, share, and comment on our Produce Buzz Facebook page. And check out our website at www.producebuzz.com There you will find articles about fresh fruits and veggies how to select, store, and prepare them as well as lots of interesting facts about all the wonderful bounty the earth provides for us Until next time be fruitful and don't forget to veg out